Good morning. It's good to be back with you again to share uh, the message. And I believe that you are doing well by the grace of God and uh, making every effort to abide in the gospel. Uh, we're going to be starting a new 12-part uh, study series in our live groups. Some of the live groups have already started. And we're going to be doing this study on the book of Acts. And I believe that as we all do it together, our walk, our relationship with the Lord will be greatly enriched and we will be immensely blessed uh, as a church. And uh, as we do the study, one of the very important words and people we will surely be looking at in the book of Acts is uh, the disciples of Jesus. And they are a different breed of people. And what makes them different is what I'm going to look at today in my message. So I'm going to share with you about who is a disciple of Jesus. For an introduction, in the time of Jesus, in the Jewish religious culture of his day, uh, it was the students who would go out and seek their rabbi. Uh, they would look for a rabbi who is uh, highly respected and uh, who is very experienced. And uh, they would uh, uh, go to the rabbi and put forth the application. Uh, but it was actually a, a process over some years and a difficult one. And so boys and girls would begin somewhere at the age of five uh, to the 12. That was the first level where they would uh, actually join in into the school of Beth Sefir. And a few gifted enough would then move on to the second level that was in the age group of 12 to 15, where they would step into the school of Beth Midrash. And then only a very select few would then go into the third level, go up to the third level, which was in the age group of 15 to 30. And that is the school of Beth Talmud. So at around the age of 15, at this third level, the boys would, uh, you know, would by then know who are the who are the great uh, rabbis uh, around uh, them. And uh, it was like an, like an application and they would request the rabbi, Rabbi, can I learn from you? Can I live with you? And, uh, you know, it would be an honor when a highly respected rabbi uh, would then accept uh, their request. So it was extraordinary for Jesus, their rabbi, uh, to be choosing his disciples uh, going around one by one. He chose his disciples. And Jesus, I believe, was saying something very, very important by the way he did this. Did this. Saying, you didn't choose me. I chose you to be my disciple. And we see that recorded in John chapter 15. But further, we see in the Gospels that if anyone came to Jesus and expressed his desire to be a disciple, Jesus clearly put forth his conditions. And it would be important for us to know that during Jesus' three years of ministry, as recorded in the Gospels, we see that many people, crowds, that's the word used, followed Jesus' with varied needs, expectations from him. So not all were called his disciples. And we get a, a glimpse of this in the Gospel of Luke. And this is not my main passage, but we're just going to uh, read from here for an introduction about understanding uh, who uh, were his disciples. Luke's chapter 6. 12 to 19. It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter and Andrew, his brother, and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, who was called the Zealot, 
Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, and there was a large crowd of his disciples and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. And all the people were trying to touch him for power was coming from him and healing them all. So from reading this passage, we can conclude the following. Firstly, that there were great crowds of people everywhere Jesus went. And uh, they came for just varied reasons, for healing, for deliverance from their oppression, demonic oppression. Uh, in fact, uh, crowds came to hear him because they never heard anybody teach uh, like he did with the authority that he had and even teach what he taught. Uh, this, was, this was new and wonderful for them. And so they came to hear him. And then we see that the second was that they, Jesus did have a significant number of disciples. You know, we, we normally think that he had just 12 and, and then 70. But it says over here, there was a large crowd of his disciples. And then three, uh, thirdly, we see that from among these disciples, Jesus chose 12 of them to be his primary apostles. And so that gives us a perspective of uh, the kind of people who were around Jesus and the disciples uh, that he, he had. But let us zoom in more closely and let's try to understand what did it mean according to Jesus, to be his disciple. And by doing so, let us examine ourselves. Am I a true disciple of Jesus? Will Jesus acknowledge that you are mine and I am your Lord and I'm your master, I'm your teacher? So we, we will find that, you know, we are prone uh, many times that if we are convinced about something and we want people to accept what we are offering, uh, then we are prone to overestimate the benefits of some things and kind of tone down or play down the costs that are involved. And, and, and that can be a danger even in the matter of discipleship. And we see that repeatedly our Lord kept in check the sincerity uh, and the enthusiasm uh, that uh, some of the people had, you know, when they came to him requesting him, Lord, I want to be a disciple. Lord, I want to follow you. And uh, Jesus would uh, tell them clearly what was the true cost of discipleship. And uh, so we, sh we, we do understand that there are immense blessings and benefits that we should not conceal, uh, that we should not withhold when we're, we're sharing with people the gospel and we're sharing with people uh, about discipleship. And if we follow the, the Lord as our true shepherd, his goodness and his mercy will follow us. And so we, we receive forgiveness of sins. We receive, um, we receive everlasting life. We, are, we become a new creation in Christ Jesus. We receive adoption as sons and daughters. In, God is our father and uh, we receive intimacy uh, with the father and an inheritance from him that is incorruptible. Uh, and, uh, you know, we enjoy all these innumerable uh, blessings and benefits and his life begins to penetrate and permeate into every area and aspect of our life. And, and that's wonderful and that's scriptural and that is true. Uh, but along with that, it is equally important that we, we share about the tougher side about being a disciple of Jesus, about being a Christian. And so the daily discipline of taking up the cross and, and the choices of resisting sin and Satan and even various trials and persecution for our faith and the sufferings that we go through, we should share the blessings, the benefit, and the cost. 
So if we truly desire to be followers of our Lord along the path of discipleship, it is imperative that we first hear the words of our Lord and count the cost of discipleship. Lest we become falsely discouraged or disillusioned, we should also weigh these costs against the benefits of being a disciple of Jesus. In this way, we can, we can make a, a sincere, wholehearted decision, decision to be a disciple of Jesus. So now I want to, I want to come to the main passage uh, that I want us to look at um, carefully. And uh, it, it is simple what Jesus has said, but it's uh, clear and it is strong and it is challenging. Luke chapter 14, 25 to 33. And I'm going to read that for you. I request you to follow me, opening your Bibles. Luke 14, 25 to 33. Now great multitudes were going along with him and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and take counsel? Whether he's strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks terms for peace. So therefore, no one of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possession. And Jesus is clearly uh, stating, what does it mean? What is it going to cost for you and me or anybody to become his true disciple? So from one perspective, discipleship centers the, around the issue of surrender, dependence, submission. And, and another perspective, it, it entails a complete rearrangement of our priorities. So to be a disciple of our Lord demands that he become the most important thing, the most important person in our life. And this is what Luke sought to remind us when he recorded the words of our Lord in this chapter. Now, consider with me the rearrangement of our priorities demanded by discipleship. I'm going to share four. There can be, there can be so many more depending on how you want to explain this. There can, be, there can be many more, not that we want to make it longer or more difficult. Uh, but uh, I want to share four right now for our clarity in the time that we have. The first, the first, the disciple of Jesus Christ must put his Lord and his master above those nearest and dearest to him. And this is what Jesus is recorded as saying, Luke chapter 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, he cannot be my disciple. Now, we need to understand very clearly that Jesus did not mean by this that we cannot love God and our family at the same time. That we can only love God by actually hating those nearest and dearest to us. And this why and the scriptures speak very clearly elsewhere uh, of our love and our obligations and our responsibility towards our family, husbands, wives, and children. So when we're reading this text, it must be read and interpreted in, 
in the light of all the other scriptures uh, uh, that we uh, see and um, that is given to us. You know, so when the Lord has highest priority in our lives, we find that our family obligations are taken more seriously and more beautifully. We 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 obey Him by by loving our spouse as He loved the church. I mean, it cannot be clearer than that. Jesus is saying, "I want you to husbands love your wives." As Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her. I mean, here's Jesus uh, actually drawing a parallel about the way he loves his church, the way he loves us. And that's the way husbands ought to love their wives. And and we see the command uh, that we ought to honor and uh, obey our parents. And we got to be loving and, and, and careful with our children and how we nurture them. And so we see that when we take these scriptures, Jesus is not implying actual hate uh, or, or, or encouraging us to hate our loved ones or our family members. But what Jesus is trying to say here, he's using, uh, uh, in the English language, uh, hyperbole. He's using a metaphor to help us understand that our loyalty to him, our love for him should be supreme, should take precedence over every other relationship. And so uh, we need to understand that our, our love and our responsibilities towards our loved ones, our family, our spouse, our children, our parents should all come out, should all stem out of the primary root, the primary uh, uh, foundation of our relationship uh, with the Lord. And it should not be the other way around. You know, Jesus should not be one of the stems coming out of our love and our and our responsibility towards our family. Family is not central. Jesus is central. God is central. He's supreme. He's our first love. He's a, he, we, we owe it all to him first. And then out of that love for our Lord, you know, all these stems come out towards our family, our, our spouse, our, our parents, our children, and our near dear ones. So that, that, that's very clear. And we, we have testimonies of people around us. You know, we can, we can reflect of people who have, you know, been totally uh, disowned and disinherited. Uh, you know, by their family because of their faith in Christ. And, and it's not because they didn't love their family, but they were not willing to compromise on their love and their faith for Jesus. And and, and I have a great example in my own Farah, the way she uh, she loved the Lord and she loves the Lord, the way she lived her life. I saw the way she lived her life in this 22 years, how Jesus was truly her first love. and uh, And the more she grew in the Lord, the more she grew in her love for me and for her parents and for Anaya. And uh, I saw the way she served her family, the way she served her father uh, these few years when he was so unwell. And, and, and the strength to do that, the motivation to do that, so sacrificially came out of her first love for Jesus. Jesus was truly her, her first love and is truly her first love. And uh, I have such a great example uh, in my dear Farah, and I'm sure that you have uh, seen people around you. We 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 all have great examples of people who have who have um, confessed Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, and not given in uh, to the pressures uh, around them uh, of uh, family, uh, wanting to you know compromise on their faith. And and Jesus said that in John 15, 18, 19, if the world hates you, know that it hated me because before it hated you. If you were of the world. The world would love its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You know, the disciple of Jesus may not desire persecution, but you can be sure of it. And many times uh, it comes 
from your own family members, your loved ones, beloved. Uh, but here's what I want to say very clearly, my brothers and sisters. If right now you're in a place and you know that you are not making a choice to obey the Lord in something that he wants you to do, and the reason you're not doing it is because you've, you've tried to pacify yourself by saying, oh, I really love my mom and dad, or I really love my spouse, or I really love this person. And that is why, you know, because I love them, therefore I'm not obeying uh, Jesus, I'm not doing what God wants me to do. It may be a particular rearrangement or realignment in your life that he wants you to do. It's something that he wants you to stop doing or start doing. And you're not doing it because you don't want to hurt. And that's what you're saying. I don't want to hurt them. Beloved, that's wrong. That's wrong. That is an evidence that your commitment to the Lord is not wholehearted. It's, and you need to ask the Lord to give you the grace to, to step out and, and display your worship to Jesus, to step out and to bring worship and obedience uh, into your life and give Jesus the first place. And in doing so, the Lord will honor you and you will see the benefits and the blessings of it in the days and the years to come. You may go through temporal pain. I'm not denying that. But the blessings and the benefits now and eternally far outweigh the, the cost that you will pay uh, uh, for, for obeying the Lord. And I want to encourage you, let Jesus always be mine and yours, our first love and be central in our life. And so that's just what Jesus said. That's the first condition that Jesus said is that the disciple of Jesus must put his Lord and master above those nearest and dearest to him. The second, the disciple of the Lord Jesus must value following Jesus above life itself. And this is what he said in Luke chapter 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You know, the basic instinct uh, uh, of all living creatures is to preserve life. That's, that's the way we are, we are wired. And, but what Jesus is asking us is something absolutely the opposite. And, and that's because his loving kindness is better than life. We experienced his love that is stronger than death. And uh, we see how he first laid down his life for us. And he is risen and seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's telling you and me today that if you try to keep your life, if you try to preserve your life, if you, if you pursue to live a selfish, self-centered, self-focused life, me, myself, and I, you will lose it. And we will lose it and the person will lose it for eternity. But if you lose your life, not foolishly, if you lose your life for the sake of Christ, then you will gain it for eternity. And so discipleship demands a devotion to the Lord Jesus that surpasses the instinct to preserve our own life. The history of the church sufficiently proves that this requirement has resulted even in the death of countless Christians through the centuries. And actually the century that we live in, time that we're living in, um, uh, Christian organizations and human rights are saying there are more Christians being killed now and being persecuted for their faith than ever before in church history in the 21st century. Think about it, beloved. And I want to say this to you, this sober thought I want to put before you. Uh, this can even happen in our city and in our nation, in the kind of time that we're living in. We need to be prepared uh, to uh, lay down our life, if need be, knowing that our Lord is risen from the dead. Fear not anything and anyone who can put to death your body, but fear him who can put both body and soul into hell for eternity. That's what Jesus said. And so 
Don't try to preserve your life. And this, 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 this aspect of letting go of your life applies to every aspect of your life. Live a generous life. Live, live a sacrificial life. Don't, don't, don't try to hold, but give, 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 and give sacrificially, give joyfully, because that's who our Lord is, and that's what He did for us. Number three, the disciple of Jesus must place his commitment to Christ above material possessions. So, and so Luke 14.3 says, So therefore no one of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Simply put, we must love God and not love money and not love what money can buy. We need to choose if we want to live the good life, the better life or the blessed life. And if we, you and I want to live the blessed life, then you, you cannot love God and love money. You will, you will love him and hate the other. But if you choose the love of money, then we will end up hating the Lord. You know, we don't say that. No one says, I hate God or I hate Jesus. But everything uh, uh, in, in choices and the actions of that person will show that this person actually loves, uh, loves money and loves material things. And, uh, you know, we uh, just recently, I was, uh, last week I was, uh, telling, uh, sharing with Anaya uh, the story of the rich young ruler. And I was helping uh, Anaya see, and it, I was reminded, you know, how the rich young ruler thought he was too smart. You know, he knew that Jesus was more than just a, just another rabbi, a respected rabbi. Why would he come to a rabbi and tell him uh, and ask, you know, uh, if he, he thought Jesus was merely a rabbi? Why would he ask him, Lord, I want to receive eternal life? He knew Jesus was more than a rabbi. And uh, he's asking Jesus, I want to have eternal life. What should I do? Now, that's interesting. Here's the rich young ruler who's really living the good life um, and enjoying everything that possibly money could buy in his day and time. And here is this guy. You know, he wants to have good life here and he wants to have good life there. So, so I'm enjoying it all. Uh, that's what he's, you know, he's doing. He's, he's got the money. And, and, and the issue was that he loved money. He loved the good life. He loved material things. And then he says, comes to Jesus, says, I want eternal life also. Give me a good life then, there also. So now and then, win-win. And, and, and Jesus says, no, that's not the way it works. Because we cannot break any commandment without first breaking the first commandment. We cannot break any commandment without first breaking the first commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. The Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God, the Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And, and that's that's the mark of a true disciple. And so I'm not implying that you 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 need to dispose of all your possessions and all your assets if you want to be a true disciple of Jesus. It's the attitude be, behind our affluence that's the crucial factor. And so it's an issue of hearts and idolatry. And so you know in First Timothy we see Paul you know warning us in in chapter six verse ten the love of money not the possession of it is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. And so Paul instructs the rich, in, who are rich in material things, to be rich in good works and not to trust in the uncertainty of riches. So, so beloved, here's a simple thing. You, you Love Jesus with all your heart. Don't love money. Use it as a tool. Uh, use it to fulfill your responsibilities towards your family. Uh, re- use it to do good works. Use it for the kingdom. And don't indulge uh, in, 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 in just yourself, you know. And one of the things I, I want to say this, uh, you know, track the affections of your heart by tracking your expenses. 
Track the affections of your heart by tracking your expenses. The way you spend your money, the way you are handling your money reveals the condition of your heart. Where is Jesus in your heart, in your life? Is he your first love? You know, what are the things of the kingdom priority for you? You know, or are you just spending money just on yourself and, and you have and you do not give to the kingdom of God? You do not give for you do not care for the poor. You're not caring for the needy. You're not giving money for good works. And, and these are important things, beloved. And I don't believe that you need to have much to be a giver. You can give from what you have. And, uh, you know, God will God will surely reward you that you did it unto him. And you did it uh, because you love him with all your heart and you did it in secret. And so that's a disciple of Jesus who's willing to place his commitment to Christ above material possessions. And last but surely not the least, fourthly, the disciple of Jesus must daily die to self-interest. Luke 14, 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Luke 9, 23, and you were saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So our cross must not be confused with the cross of our Lord. His cross bore uh, once and for all um, our sins, while ours uh, needs to be taken up daily. And, uh, you know, it is impossible to follow Jesus without taking up your cross. You know, Jesus carried his cross to do the will of the Father and to atone for our sins, to gain, to win our redemption, our adoption, uh, and uh, our sanctification and our ultimate glorification. But we carry a cross in order to say no to ourselves. The cross was signifying that it's an instrument of death, putting to death me. Why? Everything that is sinful of me, everything that is anti the Lord, anti the word of God, anti the, the leading of the spirit, saying no to myself in order to say yes to God. And every time I say yes to God, I display uh, my, my my worship unto him. I, I magnify the worth and the glory of Jesus. And uh, beloved, I want to encourage you, you know, that our design, our ambition is not to satisfy ourselves, but to please uh, the Savior. And it is in our sufferings that through our worship and faithfulness to the Lord, that his worth, beauty and glory are even more seen and, and magnified. And so he rather Ourself, rather than ourselves, is the object of our supreme affection. And so pleasing him is the highest and most compelling motive of our lives. And so my dear beloved brothers and sisters, you know, we have the supreme example of our Lord who looked not uh, after his own pleasure and comfort. And Philippians 2, uh, chapter 2 tells us in verses 4 to 8 that he was obedient to the point of infinite suffering and death for our salvation. And so I want to encourage you, beloved, you know, remembering the words of the Apostle Paul, that uh, he died, Jesus died, he died and gave himself for us, that we who live should no longer live for ourselves, but live for him who died and gave himself for us. I want to encourage you, make the good choice of being a true disciple of Jesus. Don't live for yourselves. Don't live for vain idols. Uh, don't live for the for the lusts that are in the world, because the world is passing away and it's lust with it, but live as a true good disciple of Jesus. 
the four things that I shared with you. Firstly, as a reminder, the disciple of Jesus must put his Lord and his master above those nearest and dearest to him. Secondly, the disciple of the Lord Jesus must value following Jesus Christ above life itself. Thirdly, the disciple of Jesus must place his commitment to Christ above material possessions. And fourthly, the disciple of Jesus Christ must daily die to self-interest for the glory of God. I want to now encourage you to, uh, you know, uh, pray uh, with your spouse, if your spouse is with you or with you as a family, pray together. And um, I'm going to first pray for you. And then I, I want you to take a few minutes to pray uh, uh, with your spouse, with your loved ones. And then take a few moments just by yourself and make the good choice to be a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I want to thank you that we have the privilege, this infinite privilege, that I didn't choose you. you didn't, we didn't choose you. You chose me. You chose us to be your disciple. And I pray that we will respond to your choice by your grace, by the help of your spirit, uh, Lord, that you would be our first love, that you would be supreme, first and central in our lives. And out of that would flow out our love and our obligations and our responsibility towards our loved ones. The way we live our life, the way we steward all that you've given us as sons and daughters will come out of our love for you. Because we know that no one can love us the way you love us in all that you've done for us. So thank you, Lord. We want to be your true disciple. Help us to be so every day of our lives till we see you one day in glory. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you and uh, we'll be in touch. Lord bless you and your families.